Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So you've probably seen them, these um, dumb warning labels, you know, like on the side of a coffee cup that says, you know, caution, contents may be hot. It's like, yeah, it's for coffee. It's supposed to be that way. Um, I went online this weekend and pulled up a few that I thought were kind of interesting. I'll show you. This is on the side of a 7-Up bottle. It says, contents under, warning, contents under pressure. Cap may blow off, causing eye or other serious injury. Point away from face and people, especially when opening. That's kind of a no-brainer, you know? Or this one. I, I kind of like this one. This was actually a warning label on the side of a, di- of a washing machine. It says, a warning. High spin speeds. Do not put any person in this washer. <laughs> That's some pretty good advice. Advice. This one. Um, this was on the side of a, a vending machine. It says, warning. Do not tip or rock this vending machine. Tipping or rocking may cause serious injury or death. And then there's, in case you didn't get it, there's a picture of it falling over on the guy and killing him. And then this last one, I love this one. Um, It's kind of the basic warning that's on the side of every prescription you get. It says, uh, may cause drowsiness, alcohol may intensify intensify this effect. Use care when operating a car or dangerous machinery. What you don't see there maybe is that this is for a dog. (laughs) That's just kind of dumb. Um, I brought those up because I was thinking, um, we're, going into a, we're going through the series in the book of Luke, and we're coming into a point where um, in this series, that, that we, we've kind of looked at Jesus' birth, we've looked at um, his, his announcement of his mission, that he has come to bring this kingdom of God, this new society to this world, that the kingdom of God has now come. And, and we watch that how he, he chose his first 12 followers, and then um, recordings of some of his healings. And now we get to the point, and we've been told all along that Jesus has been teaching, but we don't know what he's been teaching until we get to this point in the story. And in Luke chapter 5, Jesus begins um, his first sermon that Luke has recorded, and he begins it with these words. And it kind of sounds at first like it kind of reminded me of these kind of dumb warning labels. Chapter 5, verse 36, Jesus told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment... And the patch from the new one will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. And it's kind of like Jesus saying, you know, there's this, you buy a new shirt and on it there's a tag. It says, warning it may cause damage to the shirt if you cut it up and use it for a patch. Okay? It's kind of self-evident. Or, you know, this old wineskin, don't put new wine in it because it's going to burst. You know, warning, it may, contents may spill. You know, it, it seems kind of dumb. It's like, well, what? That's kind of a strange, odd way to begin a message. But it's, it's like a warning label. And it begins to make more sense as you begin to read what Jesus starts teaching. So if you want to skip on over... The next chapter, chapter 26, verse 27 through 36. And um, and this is where Jesus is going. This is why he gives that warning up front. And it'll make sense as we go through this. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. 
Give to everyone who asks of you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because, you're, he, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now that one statement sets Jesus uniquely apart from anybody else. Just about every major religion has some form or some version of what is called the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But only Jesus takes that and elevates it to the point where he says, now what I'm telling you is love your enemies. And, and no one has ever taught that before. No one ever has and no one ever has since. No one ever came to that point and said, now you can love your friends, but I'm telling you, love your enemies. And on one hand, you, you listen to that and that sounds so noble. It sounds so lofty. It sounds so, so idealistic. It sounds so beautiful. And yet when you think about it in your everyday life, if you're like me at all, you're thinking that is so un- impractical, illogical. It doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that? That he is asking, us, asking of us something that is just so far beyond, so difficult, so hard. Why would he do that? What, what is he asking of us? Why, what, I mean, just, it just seems so impractical. But just think for a moment what it would look like if we actually did it. What would it look like if Jesus' followers actually loved their enemies and prayed for those who hurt them and did good to those who hated them and blessed those who cursed them? What would it look like? I would dare say that would change the way people view the church. Jesus said, if you're going to be my follower... I'm giving you a new ethic, a new morality, a new way of doing life. Now, he's not talking about whether we should have police and whether we should defend our families and whether you know, we should have wars and armies and all that kind of stuff. He's talking about a personal ethic in your everyday life. You and me, every moment of the day, in our interactions, he says, now, love your enemies. Why would he do that? That is so radical. That is a radical way of loving because nobody else does that. Why would he do that? And I think there's some real important lessons here. And we're going to kind of unpack it this morning and say, what is Jesus getting at? Why does he want us to do such a radical thing? Why does he want us to love in such a radical way? And there's a couple of reasons. One of them is when we love in a radical way like this, what he's doing is he's giving us a better alternative. Because this is not the way our society and our culture and the world works. For the most part, we like those who like us. We love those who love us. We hate those who hate us. And we dislike those who dislike us. That's just the way our world operates. In fact, do you know the number one determiner on whether or not you will like somebody? Do you know what that is? It's whether or not they like you. (laughs) That's the number one determiner. Just psychologists tell us all the time, is it the number one determiner on whether or not I'm going to like somebody is whether or not they like me. And conversely, the number one determiner on the people that I dislike, they're going to be the people that don't like me. 
A number of years ago, I, I found out, um, and, you, and I know you're all going to find this very, very hard to believe, but I found out that somebody thought I was a jerk. I know. It, <laughs> I don't get it, but somebody got this misguided idea that I was a jerk. And the minute I heard that, it was like, well, <laughs> he should talk. He's a bigger jerk than I am, you know, because that's the way we operate. You don't like me. I don't like you. And it doesn't matter how wonderful that person might be. It might be, it might be Billy Graham, okay? Nobody dislikes Billy Graham. But I bet you if you found out that Billy Graham said something bad about you, you would not like Billy Graham. Because that's the number one determiner. That's how our world operates. We like those who like us. We love those who love us. And we dislike and we hate those who don't like or love us. That's our world. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a new alternative. In fact, he takes it one step further. He says, not only does it come down to whether you or not you love them, he says, I want you to do good for them. I want you to do good for them. And that, too, is completely opposite the way that our world operates. Our world operates on a tit-for-tat, eye-for-an-eye, tooth-for-a-tooth basis. You hurt me. What is the first thing I do? I hurt you back. I hurt you. What's the first thing you do? You hurt me back. The other thing that I do is I build a wall of protection, and I just stay away from you because I don't like being hurt. You don't like being hurt. And so what happens is in this world, there is this escalating hurting that's going on. And that's the way that our world operates. Because here's the problem with all of that. The pain that we receive is always, always lesser than the pain that we inflict. It feels worse to us, but it's really, it's really greater. It's really less. Because we, we, you hurt me. And the way that I feel that hurt is of such a nature that I'm going to hurt you back to at least the same degree. But the thing is that what I hurt you with is always greater than what you hurt me with because now you're feeling it in a greater way. And so what do you do? You hurt me back. And we have this ongoing thing. And that's what happens. I hurt you. You hurt me. I hurt you back. You hurt me back more. And it doesn't just stay there. It escalates. It becomes worse and worse and worse. And what Jesus is coming in is who's going to stop that? Who is going to stop this escalating hostility and hatred in this world? How is that ever going to stop unless somebody says enough? And I'm telling you, you're the ones to say enough. You love your enemies. Love your enemies. In fact, he says, not only love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. He's saying there is a strong, creative, new way to deal with hostility in this world. And it's my way. It's my way. And you can break that cycle of hostility. That you are not a victim. You are not weak. You are not powerless in this situation. And you don't have to show your power by inflicting pain back the other way. You can show your strength and your power by absorbing it. You can do something different. Because thousands and thousands of years of human history have proved that the one way is not working. We have, we have a situation that is ongoing and has been ongoing for as long as I've been alive and longer than that in the Middle East that everybody thinks they're just getting even and they're not. They're doing worse and it just keeps escalating. And that's the way countries operate with countries. It's the way people operate with people. It's the way individuals operate with individuals. And the only way it's going to stop, Jesus says, is if you stop it and you have an alternative. You don't have to pull back into a shell of protection and just keep that enemy at a distance and, and you don't have to lash out and hurt them back. You can do something different. You can do something good. 
you can do good to those who hate you. That's, that, that's asking an awful lot. In fact, not only that, he says, he says, not only do good to those who hate you, but bless those who curse you. Now, that's a very, very interesting word because that word bless, the Greek word is eulogos, which is where we get our English word eulogy. Like when you go to a funeral and no matter how bad that person was, everybody gets up and says good things about them. Okay, that's what he's saying. When people say bad things about you, you say good things about them. You eulogize them. You bless them. They say horrible things about you to defame your character and everything about you. You say good things about them anyway. And I know we're all thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is just like way too much. It's like, okay, can't I, just, can't I just keep my mouth shut and not say anything? That would be pretty good. You know, can't, can't I, instead of doing something good for him, can I just not do anything bad back at them? He said, no, no, no. I want you to do I want, this proactive. I want you to do something beyond do good for them. But, but God, can't I, can't, I, can't I just unfriend them on Facebook? Isn't that enough, you know? He's saying, no. No, he says, he says, you go beyond. You go beyond. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This love of his is not abstract. It's very, very practical. In fact, he gives some very concrete demonstrations. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. The slap is not just an act of violence or injury. It's actually an insult. It's, it's the backhand slap. And he says, now, when somebody slaps you, backhands you like that, and insults you that way, you turn the other cheek. And one of the things that happens when you turn the other cheek is now if they're going to slap you, they got to slap you full on. And now they're going to have to come face to face with what it is they've really done. He says, when someone takes your coat. Now, he's referring to, actually, there was ancient law, Jewish law. There were laws about what you could do and what you couldn't do when it came to suing somebody. And and you could sue somebody for their coat, but you couldn't sue them for their shirt. Because basically, that's all people had to wear. They had like a, a shirt, like a long garment, and then a robe that went over that. It was like an overcoat kind of a thing. And that was it. And it was saying, you know, you can take this, but you can't leave them completely naked. And Jesus is saying, you know what? If they take your coat, offer them the shirt and reveal to them what they're really doing to you. And you don't do that out of a sense of superiority because that doesn't cut it. He says, you just do this because I'm telling you to do it. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Now, like I said, just about every major religion has some form of the golden rule, but most of the forms that they have are on the negative side. It's like, don't hurt those who hurt you. Don't inflict pain on those who would inflict pain on you. But Jesus takes it, he takes it on the positive side. He notices, don't just not do bad to them. I want you to do good to them. Do good. Do good to them. And what happens is a couple of things. One is, you learn to rely on your heavenly father for your honor. You learn to rely on him for justice. You learn to rely on him for your safety and for your care. That you don't have to, you don't have to seek revenge because you can just leave that with God and let him take care of it. it, it it's, it's, it's about trusting. It takes an extraordinary amount of faith to trust that I don't have to get back at them. I can let God just take care of this. And I don't have to always defend my honor. I'll let God take care of that. 
The other thing that it does is it helps you see that other person as a regular human being. Because you see, when you, when you make somebody your enemy, when somebody hurts you, and, and, and in your defense, what you do is you build up a caricature of that person. And they no longer become human to you. They are monsters. They are ogres. They are horrible, horrible people to be disliked just for who they are. And he says, when you leave all of that with God and you start to love them, what it allows you to do is step back for a moment from the situation and to see they're not the monster you've made them out to be. They're not that horrible person who is always, always doing something evil. They're just a human being, like you are, with flaws, failures, faults, just like you. He says, when you choose to love them, you choose to see them as a person. And it gives you a whole different perspective on who they are. And it gives you a greater sense of trust in your Heavenly Father to care for you. It's one of the things that he's doing there. The second part is that this radical love, also what it begins to do is it begins to reflect God's character. See, remember, Jesus came and announced that he was bringing now the kingdom of God, that a new kingdom, a new society, a, a, a culture of transformation has now entered this world. That's what he came to bring. And this new society, this, this culture of transformation is a culture and a society of grace because it gets its identity from its king who is our gracious God. And that's why when he goes on and explains this, he says, so if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Now, at first glance, as you read that, it sounds like you're kind of, you know, you're you're building up a credit score with God. You know, and and you want to go online and see, what's my credit score with God? Am I over 700? You know, but that's really not a very good translation of the word. Because the word that's translated literally most often in Scripture is translated grace. So what he's saying is if you love those who love you, what grace is that? How does that that demonstrate grace? If you just do the bare minimum like everybody else is doing, how does that show that there's anything different? How How does that show that you have received grace, that you've been credited with grace? So how's that changed? How does that show grace? If you just love those who love you, if you just do good to those who do good to you, how does that show grace? See, we are are called to be kingdom bringers. Jesus came to, to instill this new community, this new society, this new society of grace. And he says, now, if you're going to be a kingdom bringer, if you're going to be a follower of mine, then, then you're a part of that bringing the kingdom. And how are you going to be a kingdom bringer if all you do is the bare minimum like everybody else? How in the world is anybody going to know the grace of God unless it's demonstrated from person to person? And that's what he's saying. This new kingdom, now, if you're a follower of mine, this is a whole new society. This is a new kingdom. This is a new culture, and it's a culture of grace. And how else is anybody going to ever see grace demonstrated unless you and I demonstrate it? And if we just do the bare minimum, how is that grace? That's what he's saying. How is it grace? Our mission is to be kingdom bringers. And Jesus said this kingdom is about two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And the deal is that when we, when we create enemies, what we've done is that we have separated. There's a group of people that we do love, and there's a group of people that we don't have to love. 
Remember, Jesus was asked, in fact, we'll look at it a little bit later in Luke in a couple of weeks. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what was the first question he was asked? Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? I want a category. I want a category of people I can love and a category of people I don't have to love. And what Jesus is saying when he says, love your enemies, he's saying, no more categories. No more categories. You love everybody. You love everybody because it's the kingdom of grace. It's the kingdom of God, and God is a king of grace. And so he goes on. He says, so love your enemies. Do good to them. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. See, it reflects our Father's character. Any parent in this room knows that you can see certain things in your kids that are just you. (laughs) And and, and probably you can look in the mirror some days and see in yourself characteristics of your parents, your mom, your dad, because that family resemblance comes out. He says, this is your father, and he is kind. He is kind not only to those who love him and are kind to him, kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's, that's his character. And when we are kind in that way, we're reflecting our Father's character. And this is why it's so hard for us to grasp. It's hard for us to grasp because what we tend to do is reflect our own character back on God. Instead of letting God's character reflect on us, we reflect our character on God. Anne Lamott said, I love this quote. She said, you can safely assume that you have created God in your own image when he hates all the same people you hate. But that's a pretty good quote. Because God's not that way. And I know some people say, well, yeah, that's God. It's his job to be loving to everybody. That's what God does. But it's not, he doesn't do it because he has to. It's not like God says to himself, well, I'm stuck with these people. And after all, I am God. So I guess I'm going to have to love them all. That's not God. He loves and he is kind and he is merciful because that is the only way that brings life. It's the only way that people know love. So he says, your character is to reflect. Take your cues from him. Look and see what God is doing and then do the same. And by the way, you've been a recipient of that love. You've received his grace because scripture, in fact, tells us at one time we were all enemies of God. But while we were his enemies, he loved us, sent his son to die for us so that we could be reconciled to him. And Jesus is saying, okay, in this new society, in this new kingdom, in this new family, it's a family of grace, it's a society of grace, and it reflects the character of its father, of its king. And we are to be people of grace. And if we just do the bare minimum, how are people going to see it? It really comes down to who is the God you believe in? Do you believe he's a God that can protect your honor? Do you believe he is a God who can heal your hurts? Do you believe he's a God who can forgive those who you don't want to forgive? He says, in this new society, in this new culture, in this, in this freedom and, and graceful transformation family, this is how it works. This is how we reflect our father's culture. This is how we reflect his kingdom. This is how we reflect his character. And something else happens when you begin to do this. 
what really begins to happen is this radical love starts to change your heart. And that's what Jesus is really, really getting at. And that's why he goes, starts off with this warning label. Okay? That's, now it begins to make sense. Because he's asking us to do the impossible. He's asking us to do the extremely difficult. He's asking us to do something that's way, way beyond our capability. And that's why he said up front, so here's what I want you to understand about it. No one tears a piece of garment to patch up an old one. Otherwise, it will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new one will not match the old. What he's saying is you can't do this as a patchwork. He says this new life, this new society, this new, this new culture is so radically different that you can't just take a piece of it and stick it into your existing life. It's not going to work. It is something altogether different. And if you try and take a piece of the Jesus life, the Jesus culture, the Jesus kingdom, and stick it back in the old Ken Jensen life, it's not going to work. They don't match. (laughs) They don't fit. They don't work. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. He says, this is so radically different that you can't just take your old life and pour a little bit of the new in there and think it's going to be able to hold it because it's not. It's going to burst it. And when it bursts it, not only does it ruin the old wineskin, it spills out and ruins the wine too. What he's saying, trying to do this as a piecemeal fashion, trying to do this in a patchwork is never going to work. You're going to end up being miserable. The old Ken Jensen is going to be miserable trying to do the Jesus life in his own strength. You're going to be miserable at it. And not only that, it's going to be so bad, it's going to ruin the testimony of Jesus and his kingdom in this world. So he says something's got to change, fundamentally change. And that's why the warning label You can't do this piecemeal. You do this wholeheartedly. And you don't do it in your own strength. You let God change you. And that's why he said, so you pray for your enemies. And I think that's the key. I left it before, but come back to it right now. That's the key. You pray for. Because when you pray for your enemies, you invite God into the relationship. You create some space for God to work. And what God does is he begins to change your heart. He says, pray for your enemies. Now, what's interesting is he doesn't tell us what to pray. You know, pray down fire and you know, brimstone on them. You know? No, no, that's not what you pray. He says, you pray for them in a positive way. And what happens is when you pray for them, they may not change, but you begin to change. A really good friend of mine tells the story. He's told me the story. In fact, he's told it here before, that he had someone in his life that had just so devastatingly hurt him that he just could not even look at the person without feeling hatred towards this person. But he knew, he knew that was not God's way. And so he decided to take Jesus at his word. And he started to pray for him. And he said, I started my prayers with this. Lord, for just this one hour. (laughs) I can't do this for a day, but for just this one hour, would you help me to see this person like you see them? Would you dissipate the hatred that I carry in my own heart towards them? Would you show me how to love them and to say good things about them? Just just for an hour. That's all I can do right now, but just for an hour. And after a period of time, he expanded that hour to, to a half a day. He said, okay, Lord, just for this morning, just for this morning, would you help me think good things about this person? 
Would you help me to see them the way you see them? Would you help me to let go of the hate and the hurt and love them like you do? I can't do it for the whole day, but just for the morning. And then over a period of time, he was able to expand it for a day and then for a week. And what he said was, over the process of time, God healed his heart. God gave him a new heart towards this other person. And that transformation took place. And that's what Jesus is talking about. It's not something you can do in your own strength. It's something only God can do. Only God can change a heart. Only God can make that change within you. And when he does, it'll transform everything. And that, I think, is at the heart of what Jesus' command is all about. He's not saying something to do. He's not saying, okay, I'm raising the bar so hard that you hide that you can't possibly do it. I'm giving you something so impossible that, that you're just going to spend the rest of your life struggling with this whole thing. I think what he's saying is I'm setting the bar here so that you would be able to see that you need a heart change and that I can do that. So do good to them. Just start by doing good to them. Start saying good things about them. Start by praying for them. And let him do something so fundamentally transformational in your life that he would change your heart. And what's interesting about all this is that Jesus didn't just talk about this stuff in theory and he didn't just give us commandments that we were going to have to go and try to figure out. He actually did this. He actually did this. The one who taught us that when someone slaps your face to turn the other cheek is the one who at his trial was slapped and absorbed it and was beaten and nailed to a cross. And the one who said, if someone takes your coat from you, offer him your shirt also, was the one who was stripped naked, nailed to a cross, and left before everybody to see And the one who told us to pray for our enemies hung on that cross and as he was dying, prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He did that so that we could be reconciled to a heavenly Father who loves us even when we're his enemies. He did it so that our lives could be so transformed that we could offer that same mercy and grace to those in our lives. So here is your change the way people view the church assignment this week. And I'm going to go easy. We're going to go baby steps. Okay? It's going to be something very, very simple. Yet it's going to be challenging. Do something unexpectedly good for a difficult person in your life. You don't even have to call them your enemy. Okay? (laughs) We'll start off slow. But just, you can probably think of one difficult person in your life. And this week, all I want you to do, because if you don't practice this, it's never going to become a part of you. Just think of that one difficult person in your life and do something unexpectedly good for them. And then just leave the results up to God. The the rest is up to Jesus. All you got to do is obey him. So that's your assignment this week. Think you can handle that? You're not looking like you're so sure on this one, okay? (laughs) Give it a try. Give it a try. And see what Jesus might begin to do in your heart. Not so much in the other person, but in your heart. Do you bow your heads with me? 
Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.